Ahoy everyone, and welcome to Primecast, episode 24. Here's the news and announcements for what's happening at Privateer Press over the past month. War Machine Mark IV received its annual update for 2024, which fine-tuned a handful of models in most armies while making some clarifying adjustments to the core rules. All adjustments have been updated in the War Machine App Core Rules document, as well as the PDF available for free download in the Privateer Press online store. A particularly heavy production month, thanks to the bulky Man of Wars and the two 80mm solos, as well as a high influx of orders during our end-of-the-year clearance sale, pushed our January releases into the 1st of February. So, look for your Kador Annihilators, Shadow Flame Shard Wyvern, Brine Blood Marauders Battle Brig, as well as Rasik and the individual Hydrex and Vipex models to hit store shelves on February 5th. Those January releases can also be pre-ordered through the Privateer Press online store, but please be aware that the production is still working through the high volume of orders and may take 7 to 10 days to ship. Speaking of pre-orders, the totally outrageous Brineblood Warlock Braghan Ragemonger is the next leader in our Apotheosis series of 50mm Warcaster and Warlocks. Pre-orders begin shipping February 19th. Anything ordered with the pre-order will be held to ship at the same time. Last, we announce the Formula P3 Grandmaster Painting Competition to be held at Adepticon this year. We can't wait to see your Monster Apocalypse, Warcaster, Riot Quest, and War Machine entries. Details can be found online in the Privateer Press news section at privateerpress.com. Now, let's find out what's coming up for War Machine, the Strange Light Workshop, and the Monster Apocalypse 2024 update. Hello everyone and welcome to Primecast. Joining me this episode is one of my favorite people to come on Primecast. They always have something so fun to say. Welcome the one and only Matt Getz. Hey, how's it going? It's great to have you and I'm really excited because we're going to talk about Strange Light and I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, the Strange Light Workshop has been something that I am always interested in. I really love writing about it in the past, both in game form and fiction form with the uh, No Quarter Prime series of articles and the collection of short stories, Wicked Ways. Awesome. Do you have anything specific coming up that you want to talk about? Well, just about Strange Light in general and why people might be interested in backing the product when it is up for funding later this year. Awesome. So tell us about the project. This is kind of an expansion loan, 5e offering. So. Nice. Unlike some of the previous ones that have built up on the Requiem core rules, this has uh, quite a bit of the material that you would need to get started with a new game. Uh, so you'll have race options and you'll see some of the equipment in there that was previously in Requiem, but j just as a, a new on-ramp for people to play in the Iron Kingdoms. Uh, so you would just need like the basic SRD, and this book, and you'd be ready, set to go into mm -hmm. the Strange Light itself. It's a really unusual organization. Like so <laughs> much of the Iron Kingdoms is all about like the military conflicts, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of role-playing games kind of focus that way too. Whereas the workshop is more investigative. That's not to say they don't have combat. They definitely do, but they're modus operandi is to learn about things before they start punching them in the face. Oh, neat. Yeah, uh, with a particular focus on like the supernatural Grimkin and Spectres, the undead, uh, particularly like the disembodied undead and Infernals, all of that side of things. It, it's the Iron Kingdoms meets Ghostbusters meets Supernatural, <laughs> all of the IK big bold brass elements and steam jacks and that kind of thing just just like a little weirder amazing and i think that's great like the investigative aspect of it really allows you to immerse yourself in the very rich and deep world that the iron kingdoms is yeah and that's something that we wanted to make sure we kind of focus in on with the strange light workshop as like a, a product line so in this first one because the strange light workshop is headquartered 
in the city of Serral on the coast of Signar, there's a pretty in-depth gazetteer about the city itself, mm. like all of the different districts and some of the organizations, kind of how they relate to the workshop, like what they think of each other, oh, so that you can have a really in-depth like play experience set in and around the city of Serral for this first offering. That's awesome. And I, I love the interplay of like who gets along with who. That's one of the most interesting things about the War Machine backdrop is kind of like the unlikely alliances that happen and, you know, the deep seated hatred some factions have for each other. Oh, sure. Like one thing that was really fun was considering who would get along with the workshop versus who would not like nice. them to be around. So you have groups like the Order of Illumination. That makes the sense. Illuminated ones. Like a lot of their work crosses over in the same field as what the workshop mm. is checking out. And I was thinking about it, and like there, there's sort of a frenemy thing going on there where sometimes <laughs> the illuminated ones will assist the workshop, but other times they're like, you guys are amateurs who are going to get yourselves killed. Mm. Right. That's Whereas uh, you have the Thamorite group, the Shroud, who mm -hmm. I honestly, they love the workshop. They, they love having these. <laughs> amateur investigators running around because they get to you know see what they get up to and maybe benefit from some of the information they gather but right the group on. that hates the workshop the most probably is uh -oh. the Serral city watch that because, tracks yeah right like these guys are breaking and entering shining their weird flashlights around trying to find ghosts with basically no regard for the law right <laughs> they have some standing like okay no murders everybody but breaking and entering <laughs> like trespassing that kind of thing like whatever they don't care about that they, they have a higher agenda than any of that grave robbing and destruction yeah, I mean, of public property it's called forensic necromancy you know <laughs> yes yeah and this allows us to look at the iron kingdoms through like a different lens right mm -hmm. um it's it's not a joke book but like, you have to look at the absurdity of the situation, right? <laughs> this is a, a regimented organization that's dedicated to sending people out on Scooby-Doo hijinks, right? I call that nonprofit work if I've ever heard it. Right, right. But because of that, you know, we're, we're not just taking a look at the setting through a new lens. We're presenting the material in a completely new way. Mm. Like, people who are familiar with the previous books that we put out for 5e... There's kind of a, a trade dress that you're familiar with, right? The mm -hmm. things look a certain way. And with the Strange Light Workshop, we wanted to include storytelling, even at the level of how the pages are laid out. Hmm. So it's very diegetic in that way. A lot of the stuff in it, our call-outs would be like the headlines and first paragraph of a broadsheet reporting on something that happened relevant to whatever the text on the page is. There's marginalia that is, you know, written in by members of the workshop itself. And <laughs> That's if best. you're familiar with the SCP Foundation, it's kind of a collaborative, creative project online. We wanted to borrow some of that kind of absurd bureaucracy into the Strange Light <laughs> Workshop. So, like, there are departments of paraphysics and nice. you know, different classification levels. Not everybody is allowed to see everything. There's the forbidden archive and then there's the forbidden forbidden archive that nobody's <laughs> even allowed to know about like there's there's absurdity at a level of bureaucracy like this right especially when you add ghosts into the mix amazing well some secrets have to stay secret right absolutely like things that people were not meant to know should probably stay at least you know locked up in a cabinet <laughs> we're really hoping that strange light workshop people who back it can get in and as soon as they have their stuff you know get going right away so in addition to the the main core book which is going to be a bit heftier than some of the ones we've done before we're including three case files which are prepared adventures that have encounter map and some some physical handouts nice for the players and each one of them is kind of like an episode in a mini series right mm -hmm. uh so the first case file that people can play starting at level one will then lead directly into the second case file will lead directly into the third case file. Kind of like several... every good mystery should. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have plans for some other places to go with the Strange Light Workshop in the future. If, you know, if people are interested in checking out how they operate in other parts of the Iron Kingdom, not just in that one city. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's a, it's a fun, interesting look on role playing to be solving cases and receiving case files. Like it's not yeah. just little mini one offs, but the deeper story leading in with more clues. I love it. Yeah, and that actually is something kind of significant in how this can be helpful to people role-playing, especially if they're, they're newer to role-playing games in general. Unlike in Requiem, where you have a bunch of different kinds of adventuring companies that maybe you don't even ha aren't even using an adventuring company, you just have a, a bunch of disparate characters. In this, mm -hmm. you're employees of an organization, right? You have a boss who says, hey, your job today is to go and do this. Your employees of this organization, like your characters have a salary. So <laughs> instead of racking your brain trying to figure out, okay, I've got a Trollkin Barbarian, I've got a Tharn Gun Mage, I've got a Wandering Scorn and a Storm Knight, how am I going to get them all working together for this story? You just say, okay, guys, you're brought into Commander Keller's office and he lays out the briefing for your next assignment. There's a headless ghost that's been scaring people in the library. Go, go take care. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I like the cooperation that like it kind of immediately just pushes you along the path so you can get right to the adventure. Yeah. In addition to the, the more standard stuff. So in Strange Light, you know, you've got the races that you'd expect to be able to play as in the IK. You've got new classes that represent the different roles in a field investigation team. And you've got, <laughs> you know, your standard Iron Kingdom's level tech equipment, but with the Strange Light Workshop, you actually have these unusual prototypes that are produced in Blackwell Hall, their headquarters, and distributed to teams by the Quartermaster Cronin Bailey. And your characters don't own that equipment. It's all basically on lease from Blackwell <laughs> Hall. So Don't lose it. You have to pay it back. Tell me they have to pay it back. Oh, yeah. They absolutely have to pay it back. <laughs> that is but, the uh, best. So you've got a standard loadout. So your caller gets their ghost hood and your jammer gets his hostile encounter suit, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then you can spend requisition points to lease some of these more powerful and perhaps unusual prototypes, like the pyre thrower. It's a flamethrower oh. that only affects ghosts or <laughs> the uh, mystic. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Mysticuffs are restraints that prevent people from being able to work magic, right? Amazing. Uh, and you get a number of points kind of based on what tier of play you're currently at per character in the team that you can use to augment any of the more regular gear that you're using. But the thing about prototypes is they're prototypes for a reason. They're not reliable. <laughs> so there's uh, a table of different complications that can arise when you're using one of these prototypes too often oh snap yeah your and ghost flamer goes up in ghost flames they're weirder than that even like oh, snap. yeah like you temporarily become uh, powerfully magnetic and <laughs> objects within 10 feet just keep getting stuck to your skin stuff like that like oh that's when i say awesome. weird i mean i mean weird that's real weird right on so it sounds like some pretty cool equipment and a, a neat system to like both use the equipment and add some strangeness some strange lightness mm -hmm. to the adventure what else there is a haunted warjack oh i like yeah. this so the, the uh warjack is Bowden heightley from one of the adventures that was in the previous edition of the Iron Kingdoms RPG. Mm. And we just decided that the workshop stole it. <laughs> the, the haunted Great. Warjack was in the possession of the Order of Illumination, and the workshop was like, yeah, but we, we think we can make better use of it than you. And they just straight up stole it. This is ours now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Hi, Jinx and Sue. I, it is a, a very high hijinks type of game. Awesome. So, how does that a haunted warjack even work? Like, do you still like? Does it have a a jack marshal, or is it just like possessed by ghosts that tell it what to do? It, it is possessed by a ghost that, it, like, there is a ghost in its cortex that <laughs> is basically its brain now, and because of who it was when it was alive, it's also a warjack that can cast spells. 
Oh, snap. Which is part of why they were like, yeah, we think we'll have that. Thank you. Can I have that in War Machine? That would be you sick. <laughs> I feel like there might be some balance issues at play, but... I guess we have Karchev. He's kind of... He's close. Yeah, he's close. He's close. Right on. So, Haunted Warjack. Amazing, cool tech. What else we got? We have some odd backgrounds, because the people who are drawn to the work of the Strange Light Workshop are kind of not like your run-of-the-mill mercenaries, most of the time at least. So we've got backgrounds that are people who encountered spirits when they were a child. Like, if you oh. watch the Insidious franchise, you're playing yeah. as one of those kids, right? We've got people who are occultists that want to learn how to maximize their own power and see the workshop as a stepping stone in doing so. You've got some regular kind of blue-collar folk, too, that, like Winston Zeddemore in the Ghostbusters, right? Not everybody mm -hmm. on that team was a PhD. He was just a guy who answered a classified ad. <laughs> this is true. Awesome. Uh, Scruffy, the janitor. Yeah. Second. <laughs> Nice. So do the players make up any part of their character or is it all scripted? No, I mean, you would still make up your character, what their motivations are. There's a little bit of like, here are some suggestions of why you would be drawn to this world in the first place. But nice. as with all things RPG, that's sort of just a, a guidepost on the mm -hmm. road. Like you're making up your character's bonds and ideals and flaws, just like you would in any normal game of Requiem. Is there like a big bad villain of this series yes and we're going to be building to it uh, each each one of the case files in this initial release does have kind of a primary antagonist that's motivating the events of that particular investigation in one way or another but there's also a big bad villain over the entirety of the strange light workshop as like a concept nice it sounds like we have hit a lot of the things in the strange light is there anything else we missed no i think that that is pretty much what you can expect in the book and the case files uh there are some interesting stretch goals down the road in crowdfunding some add-ons that i'm really excited about uh people getting to see for the first time there's some great miniatures coming so like i said you can really hit the ground running as soon as that box shows up at your door i love the minis that come with the rpg models too they're so awesome Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some fantastic-looking sculpts in this round. Well, before we came on, you told me a little bit about something that's going on right now that people can get their hands on. What was that? Oh, yeah. So we do our monthly DLC releases, and just today, uh, as of recording, we released the first in a series of those DLCs. It's part one of The Book of the East, oh, which is... Nice a look at what's going on in Eastern Imran. Uh, part one that just came out gives you the Scorn as a playable character option and a Praetorian martial archetype, Sick. as well as a little bit of gear, some backgrounds. But we're going to be looking more into what the Scorn have been up to since they got kicked out of the Western Imran. <laughs> I'm curious too. I think everybody's curious at this point. What, what have they been up to? I yeah. guess we'll have to find out. You will find out as we drip feed that information over the next few releases. We're, we're going to mix it up. It's not going to be Book of the East 1, 2, 3 in a row. We're going to do some of our other content as well. But just know that there are further parts in that release coming. I'm excited. That's going to be awesome. Scorn Fiction never disappoints either. It's always something spicy and interesting. And like considering where we left them last, it's definitely... It's definitely shaken up the entirety of the Scorn Empire. I'll say that. Oh, snap. Now you're just leaving teasers and tidbits. Everybody's going to be blowing up Prime Cast. What's going on with Scorn? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You're going to have to find out. We've got a few minutes here at the end. What have you been playing? What have you been up to? What is your character? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I am the forever GM. <laughs> oh, same. Yeah, but... I've been playing around a lot with the concepts of railroads and what railroads mean in your setting, right? In your nice. adventures background. And because of that, I've been thinking a lot about the Iron Hands Mercenary Company. They're the uh, kind of the wardens of the Union Steamos. Nice. And reading a lot about like labor riots in the early 20th century and 
things like the Haymarket Massacre, the Battle of Blair Mountain, and how post-industrialization, the relationship between the workers and their work was really clearly defined through lots of like big and violent events. Yeah. And thinking about how to maybe pull together a game based around those concepts for my own table. That is awesome. I am so here for it. Yeah, like the town that I live in now, there was even a pretty significant like violent event in the tur at the turn of the century with the international with, with the wobblies if you're familiar with them art informing life informing art mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i i really feel that the the stories that i am most successful with when i'm running games are the ones that are based around t topics and concepts that i myself am very interested in nice i'm super here for it the one two three four five six seven seven books ik books sitting on my desk right now nice you know passion projects are the fun funnest when you're the forever gm because you're like what chaos can i cook up next mm -hmm. absolutely matt it has been a pleasure having you on is there anything else you want to say to the listeners before we roll the drums i hope you're having a good start to your new year and i look forward to hearing about your characters heck yeah without further ado matt you want to say roll those drums why don't we roll those drums Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So this is a special impromptu segment that we're adding into Primecast as it's coming hot off the press because we have some news. And joining me is none other than the captain of the ship himself, Matt Wilson. Hey, Emmanuel. Thanks for making the time for me. Of course. So you've got some beans to spill for the new Crix army that has everyone so excited. And I couldn't hold off. I, you know, another month to wait on that? No way. Let's go. Yeah, no time like the present. Yeah. I do have some beans, though probably not the beans that everyone is necessarily looking for, but mm -hmm. they're good beans all the same. And I realized that it was probably a good idea to to jump on here and talk about them as I was putting up some Facebook posts and seeing questions and, and excitement. And I thought this is this is a good time. I don't know what kind of bean cricks would be, but I let's have it all the same. Well, human beans, of course. <laughs> oh, switch. I did that on the fly. Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Oh, go on. <laughs> I threw you off. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start by rewinding a few months, actually all the way back to Gen Con. So being at the conventions and getting to talk face to face with our players is always informative and, and very motivational. In fact, we've mentioned a lot on Primecast, just how our staff groups up in the evenings and we do a lot of brainstorming there based on that in-person feedback that we get. Mm -hmm. So there were two big takeaways at Gen Con last year. The first was that a lot of players um, or potential players were looking for a lower price starter to get into the new edition of War Machine. And then we made the battle boxes a standard offering like right after that. Yes, that was our first step towards a more accessible price point for the new players. And we saw a fantastic response on that, you know, once we were able to reintroduce them to the point that we're still sort of feeling the effects of the orders that, that came in from them over the last few months. What was the second takeaway from Gen Con? The second was that people wanted Cricks back. Of course they wanted Cricks back. I mean, who wouldn't? I, Emerin, I guess. <laughs> yeah, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Those human beings we spoke about. Yeah. So Crix wasn't originally in our Mark IV plans as an army, um, even though it was always going to be featured heavily in our fiction, um, mm -hmm. especially with the, the culmination of the Dragonfall story arc. But with the high volume of requests we received at Gen Con to bring Crix back, we had to reconsider our stance on this. And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that we all wanted Crix to make a comeback. And so we altered course. Uh-oh. I can already hear the petition getting signed by Protectorate and Menoff players all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Fire priests and dinosaurs. Yeah, we know what they want. <laughs> oh, I'll have to tell you what I want some other time. <laughs> okay. You can you can put in your requests too. Yeah. So we we wouldn't have pivoted on Cricks the way we did if they didn't have such a big stake in the storyline, but things just lined up too perfectly. And in the end, it really kind of felt more like we were addressing an oversight and that needed to be 
corrected. So we did, and um, or we're doing that. And as everyone knows by now, the Crick's Necrofactorium is the next army that'll be introduced to Mark IV this year. That is exciting. Uh, but what's the big picture here? Where's Crick's coming in? Okay, so putting it all together, the big picture is that reintroducing Crick's was far enough down the planned release schedule that we could actually alter our approach to how Mark IV armies are rolled out. Mm. And we've learned a lot over the past year, and we've taken in a ton of feedback from players, and we've also figured out a few things of our own uh, you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. And so when we sat down to plan Cricks out, we decided we'd also incorporate the lower price point starter into the plans from the beginning. That sounds like a good approach. Give the people what they want, right? Exactly. So we're getting ready to send out our May product solicitations, which include the Crix Necrofactorium starter. And we wanted to let everyone know what's coming since it's going to look a lot different than what we've done with the previous six armies in Mark IV. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So originally we (laughs) created the core army starters to be 50 point armies with the intention of making it convenient for players. So they're a one-stop, ready-to-go army. You never have to worry that you can't find an essential building block of an army you know, to get started. But we understand the price point hurdle can be hard to get over. So the Crick starter will have a very different configuration and actually looks a little more like the cadres that we have coming up. It's going to include a warcaster, who's called Wraithbinder Nicane. Ooh. It'll have a character warjack, Hades, which we just previewed on Facebook. So sick. And Hades is a, a fixed configuration. He's not customizable. Um, and then there's going to be a character unit, the Furies, and oh. a character solo, Master Necrotech Chatterbane. That sounds awesome. If they all look as good as Hades, I'm in. They do. I promise. They're amazing. So that's the starter. It's a 30-point force designed to work well at that size. Everything in it is a character, so it's just a one-time purchase. Interesting. The best part is it'll be priced at $79.99, which is the same price as the battle boxes that we offer. I love a box of character models. That sounds great. I Sign me up. I'm in. So are we talking about six miniatures, not just three? Correct. Yeah, it's got six models in it. But the big difference between this Kickstarter and those battle boxes is that the Warjack isn't customizable. Mm. Including a fixed configuration character Warjack with a unit and a solo provided a better starter experience than the two Warjacks with all the extra weapons. So we traded customization for more individual models. Amazing. So what does that mean for the expansion? So what that means is that there will actually be two expansions. Oh, two. Yeah, but they'll both be around the same size as our current expansions. So in Mm. that $130 price Mm -hmm. range, as opposed to the $200. The first expansion will come with the heavy and light customizable Warjacks, another Warcaster, and your core infantry. And it'll give you enough options to field a 75-point army. And the second expansion will have the second character Warjack upgrade options, another Warcaster, and then your heavier infantry options like cavalry and things like that. So the second expansion plus the starter will also give you 75 points. So either way you go, adding either of the expansions to the starter provides enough options to play higher point levels, but we'll be moving away from that bigger $200 price tag. Fantastic. Then what about the 80 millimeter solos? We're still getting something big for Cricks, right? Of course. Of course, there'll be more. And we're not going to miss the chance to do something ridiculous on the extra large base for Cricks. Amazing. That sounds like a great change up. And thanks for listening to the players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we get so much talking to everybody at the conventions and interfacing on the social media. So it's, you know, we're always listening, always trying to make a better experience for everybody. So we're really looking forward to this new approach. We think it addresses a number of different issues, both for, you know, what we can offer players as well as how we produce the products. Let me tell you, the Necrofactorium is shaping up to be the best version of Crix that we've ever done. Just wait until you see what else is coming. Crix, yeah, I cannot wait. So let's talk about Minoth. You want to roll those drums? Roll drums. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In this segment, we're going to be talking about Monster Apocalypse and the yearly update. Coming along with me for this adventure is none other than one of our playtesters who's been on Primecast several times before, Jeff Gum. 
Also, to Cactus. That's me. Hello. Glad to have you back. I know that we always have a lot of fun when we're together on Primecast or uh, hanging out, talking Monpox stuff. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. So we're going to go over the updated models for this 2024 packet and talk a little bit about the crunchy bits. So, Manuel, why were these four monsters chosen for this year's DU? Great question, Jeff. These four monsters specifically have all been in previous DUs, and for one reason or another, we just felt that they could either find a more robust home or maybe have a more updated playstyle. Now that there have been several dynamic updates since some of them, like Kraken Octus, for example, and it also gives us an opportunity to bring some new fresh models to the game, allow people to explore some new synergies and different ways to interact with models that they already love and play with. For sure. And, you know, for some of these, it's been a couple of years since their last update. And, you know, times change. What what worked for the game in 2020 or 2021, you know, in 2024, our needs are different. Absolutely. And... One that I feel was really exciting to get the update for was Sergeant Titanica, specifically because Sergeant Titanica is also a model that we give away at conventions. It's an exclusive, and I know that it's one that I've seen a lot of people paint as well. It seems to be like a crowd favorite. And so why don't you start us off, Jeff, and talk to us a little bit about Sergeant Titanica's alpha update? Just so everyone can get the full picture. So she remains speed seven. Her alpha defense has been decreased by one down to eight, and we'll get Mm -hmm. to why in a minute. Still five health in the alpha. She has picked up the action on my mark, which is during your monster activation, this model can spend one action die and one power die to perform an on my mark action. Choose an allied faction unit, in this case, Green Fury. Within five spaces of this model, that unit immediately advances up to its speed and makes an attack using the dice spent on this action. And we're not going to get into reading every one of the rules down the line, but this one's really important because it plays into her next part of her kit. For sure. And it's something a lot of players maybe haven't seen before. Some of the rules later on you'll you'll be familiar with. We don't need to, you know, mm-hmm. re- relitigate. The next thing is defensive stance, which has changed a little from the previous version. Defensive stance now reads, this model gets plus one defense if you have five or fewer power dice in your power pool. If this monster is in hyper form, other allied faction units also gain defensive stance. So let's talk about defensive stance for a minute, because this is a rule that previously caused a lot of controversy and had some interesting rules interactions. It made you like re-roll your opponent's dice. Something by design that we wanted to change was make defensive stance feel like you were switching into it, like there was a time when you weren't playing defensively, and that there was a time that you were, and also a way to trigger it. And so that's where the tie back to on my mark comes in, is if you need to, you can move that unit, spin that power dice, and then drop into defensive stance, and get yourself a plus one defense. And typically, when you're low on power dice, this is when you're playing defensively rather than offensively. And so I feel like this defensive stance really does capture the feeling and the motif of the rule. For sure. It's definitely a more dynamic play style of whether you want to be on the offensive or defensive, depending on where you are in the board state, you can kind of play into it a little. Mm -hmm. Moving on down the rest of the card, she keeps energy cycle and reposition. Those have not changed. Her brawl, still seven action dice, four boost dice, but now she has combo striking alpha, which is the first monster to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And last is her power stat, which went down a little bit to compensate for the combo strike. It's now a seven action die, three boost die attack. Absolutely. And combo strike in alpha is one that kind of had in the back of our minds for a while, waiting for the right place to place it on a monster. And I feel like this is a monster you would see doing actual combo striking and like swinging of the beer truck that she has in one hand. And there's, it's very cinematic to her playstyle, especially when you consider reposition defensive stance on my mark. There's a lot of things going on in her alpha. Yeah, there's there's a lot of synergy built into her her rules, especially with energy cycle and combo strike. You can. Mm-hmm. Punch, gain an action die back into a SWAT to gain an action die back and then gain a second one back. 
So she's really got a lot of efficiency built into the kit. She is also, we have 10 health monsters in the game that tend to be very aggressive and very dynamic, but also fragile. And so this is where she fits is towing that line between being fragile at 10 health and also being defensive at effective defense nine. And then when we go into hyper effective defense 10. That's true. So moving down to the hyper, we keep the seven speed. We are now at defense nine instead of defense eight, still at five Mm -hmm. health. Keeps on my mark, keeps defensive stance, keeps energy cycle, and now has tactical command, which previously you've seen on monsters like Ares Mothership or one of the Zors, (laughs) which uh, gives all of your faction allied units blast attacks hit and run. And if you're not familiar with hit and run, uh, it's one of the most common rules of the game, and it now appears later down on her profile. Uh, she keeps the combo strike and brawl still in 8-5, and her power stat is now 7-5 with hit and run. So when she makes a power attack after the attack's resolved, she can move up to three spaces. And so this also combos with the like SWAT brawl play line we were talking about earlier with energy cycle. And you also see her becoming a better unit general with tactical command and defensive stance has a second modifier. It says if this monster is in hyper form, allied faction units also gain defensive stance. And so now her units are hitting and running and then staying it in a high defense, and so it, it really does give them a very dynamic play style together. For sure. And she's still a scary 10 health monster, so she's going to ride that line like Hurricanius, where she can play really aggressively, but should you? Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about her, her efficiency game and kind of her unit suppression plays, but it shouldn't be discounted that this is a monster that has both screen clear on both sides of the card, as well as combo strike for extra damage on both sides of the card. So she can be very, very offensive as well Mm -hmm. if you have the power dice to do so. Absolutely. And on my mark is a faction unit that you can move. So there there are some complications to her de-screening. It's not quite like a swift strike, but it's there and it's fun. So our next monster has a lot more health and that's Kraken Octus. Yeah, Kraken Octus (laughs) is an interesting one. Let me give a little feedback on this one, too. So as we're going into it, there was a vote that happened in the community for our March Madness, where we ended up with Krakenoctis versus Olkoth. And you will notice both of those monsters are in this packet. And so this gives us an opportunity to tune them up based on both being fan favorites and also getting a fresh 2024 makeover. And so one of the concepts that I had pitched around for a long time was to develop the psychic aspect of the Tritons, right? We have the Sa'il who has the psychic aspect, and I wanted some more of that to kind of make the Krakens also intelligent fish, right? Because they're, they're, they're out there playing strategy games too. And so we had never had divination on a protector side of the fence and so that was one of the first things brought over and kraken octus did not get a lot of changes in their alpha they gained a boost dice on their brawl and steamroller so there is the opportunity to fling trigger steamroller move on down the line and then ram a building down and this also lets you move and reposition your divination bubble and so this was kind of the play style that I felt really helped bring out a new Kraken Octus with all of the new Tritons at their disposal. For sure. It should be noted in case people get confused. Steamroller is replacing Onslaught. It's not in addition to the Onslaught mm-hmm. that's on the card currently. Correct. So you're not going to be doing two flings and two rams a turn. <laughs> Weave! <laughs> yes, we did drop Onslaught. Onslaught Steamroller fling would be bananas. Not for an alpha, that's for sure. <laughs> Moving on over to Hyper, do you want to give us the Hyper changes? Sure. Looking over the changes here, has gained a speed. He's up to 6 speed, 9 defense, 6 health, as you're used to. He's picked up Envelop, which is a rule previously seen on monsters like Globicus and Avarinia? Avarinia. Avarinia. Is that how we pronounce it? Okay. Now we know. (laughs) Which just enemies adjacent to him lose a defense, and the Brawl is where things really get spicy. He now has drag on his brawl, as well as sweeping attack. So you can punch an enemy monster, 
reposition them, then you get a free SWAT and a three space advance that you can do after. So when combined with his wind-up rule that lets you have super damage in your SWATs, you can punch someone, put them into a vector for his partner to, you know, get off a big power attack and SWAT him for an extra two damage. It's a pretty cool combo. And you can move the three and then make the SWAT too. So you can go find a better position to put envelope somewhere or get closer to a unit to whack into them or get out of the way. That's true. Sweeping Strike, just like Steamroller, has some really interesting timing where you essentially like gain a free three space advance and a free SWAT power attack that you can cash in at any point later in the turn, as long as you know, you're resolving all of one monster's text before beginning the other. Mm-hmm. So you can you can step and then do some SWATs and then do the three space advance and then step some more or any combination thereof. There's a lot of options select to how to resolve a sweeping attack or a steamroller. And because of this, Kraken Octus it can be a really mobile squid now. And something that you'll see throughout this too is that all of these monsters are pedestrians and all of these monsters play in ways that drive home. It's not easy to play a pedestrian, but there's a lot of advantages to it. Absolutely. One other little change here I noticed, he did gain plus one range on his blast in Hyper. So he's up mm-hmm. to a range four. <laughs> Just a little extra oomph. With that side gun, man, got to hit him with the sh- shark laser beams. I, I believe for him, his blast is flavored as shooting ink, isn't it? I'm fine with that too. Like squid ink for the win. It's it's psychic squid ink. Psychic squid ink is the best squid ink. I love it. So Comcore 001, and now moving into the destroyer monsters here. This is a monster that I feel really found a great home in 2024. Yeah, for sure. Of the four monsters in here, he's definitely the biggest departure from the monster that people are used to. He, other than Safeguard and the fact that he's mechanical, he got pretty much a complete rewrite. So do you want to let people know what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. There was a version of Comcore in the past that just wasn't doing enough for the faction. It was a support monster, but the play styles and play lines were not as smooth and clean. And this was also a monster that is getting updated after we had updated a lot in the Zerkalo block over the last couple years. And so there was a lot of new opportunity to try something different with this monster. And we also have a Zerkalo unit in here, which I think uh, got another fantastic update as well. And so collectively, the new Comcore, hot off the line, Comcore 001.5. Actually, I guess at this point, (laughs) 1.75. Eh, you're, the, you're the designer. You get to make those numbers up. Sure, the arbitrary numbers. But what does uh, matter is what changed. So the things that Comcore gained, Comcore basically, like Tech said, lost almost everything on the front of its card except for mechanical and safeguard. Safeguard's great and various are callow. They gained action no quarter. So this is a, a new action, and it says during this model's activation, this model can spend one action die to perform a no quarter action, gain one boost die on its attack this turn. It is effectively full steam, but we needed a more generic, more modern full steam, and so action no quarter it is. We also gave Comcore Defense Array, which allied units gain force field while within five spaces of the model, so a plus one defense against blasts, so really leaning into the safeguard, protection, hunker down style of uh, Zerkalo. They gain Sealed Fate, which was a rule that did not exist last time this model was updated, and brings it over to the destroyers, adds some extra anti-rerolls to the game. Mm -hmm. It's also an interesting mirror to Comcore's good twin Defender X, where Defender X you know, re-rolls your own dice, Comcore prevents your opponent from re-rolling. Exactly. And I also like the concept that maybe the pilot sealed into the Comcore unit itself, so it is a sealed fate for that model, win or die. (laughs) The Blast also gained Scald, another new rule that wanted to bring over to the Destroyers, and it plays with a lot of the Voyaka lines of being able to participate in each other's fire lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have a lot of... uh combo potential in Zerkalo of one monster supporting the other and getting off chains that way. Flipping over to Hyper, Tech, do you want to give us the Hyper changes? Sure. So the Hyper, similar to the Alpha, very little 
is the same from previous, still has safeguards, still has mechanical, and still has collateral damage on the gun. Everything else is new. So for the new stuff, keeps the action no quarter from the alpha, picks up the Dreadnought special rule where he gets plus two defense if he's already taken damage this turn, and he gains the new rule Glorious Purpose, which is unique to Comcore, uh, which is while this model is in play, allied faction units get plus one speed and the action no quarter. And again, why we needed no quarter was the verbiage needed to be generic so that it could be passed around to the army and Glorious Purpose does this. And so more through lines and faction synergy and Zerkalo getting plus one speed and getting an additional boost. Those are pretty scary things. Oh yeah. There are a lot of times where my uh, Verota walkers or my Propo walkers are just one space short of the power node they want to get to. So <laughs> they're, they're not a very speedy faction, but they are tough. So Absolutely. having the plus one speed is very appreciated. And something else you'll notice congruent across this pack is that these monsters are all leaning in on faction synergy. So for those players who really want to play faction pure or as close to you as you can get, these monsters are all going to help you achieve that goal. So what else we got on the change for Comcore here at the end? Yeah, so moving over to the right side of his card on his attack profiles. Uh, his Brawl now gains Scald as well as a Weapon Master, so his punches do super damage. And his Gun keeps collateral damage and also has Weapon Master, so whether he's punching or shooting, he's always going to do super damage. And then his Power Stat, in order to compensate for the Mixed Arms stuff that's going on with his Blast and Brawl, he did lose a Power Die, he's down to a 6-4. And this is a place that we found with support monsters is really important, right? It's the ability to also do chip damage while supporting. And this was a lesson learned from the original Comcore. It's that monsters that support need to, yes, support, but also be able to support the monster lineup, right? It can't just be, well, I run out there and I do all the things and I spend all the dice and I support all the things and now I'm dead and half your list doesn't work. I think the chip damage aspect is a really important and not to be overlooked part of this monster's kit. He has echoes a little bit of Taharka from Protector's side where he's mm-hmm. very beefy, very hard to kill. And then his offense isn't like amazingly over the top, but he can consistently get in two damage pretty much no matter what the board state is. So it's really just a ticking clock. Absolutely. Moving on to Olgoth, which yeah, this let's is talk a about Olgoth. Who you have tested the pants off of? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. The other testers didn't didn't let me keep my true vision for making this the most broken monster in the game. <laughs> No, that's not going to happen. But Olgoth, the other part of the voting, uh, this monster did get a fan favorite and so definitely was deserving of the glow up. A monster that got updated a long time ago as well, alongside what, Krakenoctis at the same time, right? Uh, Yeah, that was in the first dynamic update way back in, I want to say, 2021. And so now is his glorious return. And so why don't you go over these alpha changes for us? Sure. So the alpha is more or less the same, minus one pretty significant difference. He traded disruption for an extra point of defense, so he's up to def 8 and lost disruption, but in return picked up a new action called Mutagenesis, which is during your monster activation, you can spend one action die to perform this action. Place a one-cost faction unit from your reserves into play adjacent to an allied faction unit within five spaces of this monster. This rule mirrors the rule on the Toxic Waste Depot that allows you to split two units apart, essentially into another like one-cost unit. And it's a really fun and tricky line of play, and there's some really interesting ways to play it. And so Mutagenesis allows Olgoth to both start to flood the board a little bit more, which is kind of what this monster wanted to do in the first place, and also opens up some really strange lines, which I think uh, the Lords of Cthulhu are masters of. Absolutely. The other change that the Alpha got is the Brawl used to have Manufacture. It's kind of minor change, but a significant one. We updated that to Proliferate, uh, 
which is similar to manufacture. It just will trigger no matter what the attack hits. He doesn't have to punch a unit to get it. Yeah. And he gets to put a faction unit on or adjacent to the target. And the honor adjacent to is pretty important too in a lot of cases. Uh, if you're punching a monster and you need a legal place to put it, it's very important. <laughs> so other than mutagenesis and proliferate and the extra defense, not a lot changed here in Olgoth, but a lot of that sets up what happens in Hyper. So the Hyper picked up Kill Command, which for those that don't know Kill Command, at the end of each of your monster's activations, if you have eight or more allied faction units in play, return three faction units to your reserve, and a building or enemy model suffers one point of damage. So this is both cashing in on all of the units that you're putting into play in your alpha so your opponent has to also consider do i put you in hyper when you're flooding with units or can i kill some of the units first and then put you in hyper but it's also just a global damage to a building or monster which is is great they need a model it could be a unit it's it's a d-screener yep it's it's any anywhere on the board it's in limited range you don't have to roll any dice for it it's just anything at all one damage pop them yep and it's at the end of your monster's activation so there are some limitations to it you're not using it to de-screen during your monster activation and then once olgoth gets in the hyper pretty hard to take out picking up reactive shield in lieu of unwieldy and disruption Mm -hmm. so attacks targeting this model with one or more power dice lose one boost dice attacks with five or more power dice lose two boost dice and i really could see olgoth like between both having the psychic like brain maybe having like a psychic barrier but also just having like its tentacles smacking things out of the way constantly making it hard to attack it's just like olgoth and hyper rage i i like to think of it as he's using those pustules as like shock absorbers that oh gross <laughs> no matter where you punch him you're going to be punching a, a pus sack punching goop Ugh. okay so the brawl picked up proliferate just like an alpha and then also picked up lash out something that we have played with for a long long time in play testing and tried on different monsters that never made it out of the gate was a monster with berserk essentially but the berserk rule itself has a unit timing and so we needed a new rule that allowed a monster to perform the berserk and so Mm -hmm. we get lash out yep if you're familiar with berserk lash out works exactly the same it just is on monster activations instead of unit activations and so you know it allows you some interesting chains where you can punch and then move two spaces and then you know if you have enough units you get ready for kill command plus all of this plays into hive mind which olgoth absolutely did not lose so being a very accurate punch is something that olgoth can definitely do oh yeah olgoth throws an insane amount of blue dice like all your blue dice and some of your opponents <laughs> So let's jump into the units here. The units should be pretty quick, and there's some pretty big changes here. Absolutely. The first one here on the list is, I would say, one of the biggest changes, and that's the Ape Gunner. I would say that this is a complete rewrite, but the Ape Gunner really didn't have that many rules on it to begin with. Literally nothing. Like, just (laughs) all-terrain. Hey, he had all-terrain. Let's not sell it too short. Uh, (laughs) But now, now the new Ape Gunner trades that all-terrain for high mobility, and he picks up Action Flak Field 1 and Big Game Hunter. Mm-hmm. We wanted to give this model a fresh role in the army and also have through-line play with lots of different monsters and unit combos. And very interestingly enough, going into Ape Gunner Elite, they also pick up Flak Field 2, And because a big game hunter commander can really matter on the ape gunner. So this model now has a reason to bring the elite as well. Oh yeah. A small force of ape gunners can absolutely shred an enemy monster. Yeah. And it gives opponents a new thing to consider now. Like, oh, I can't just ignore a bunch of ape gunners amassing on that side of the table. That's a problem now. Unless you're old goth. And then they just all become pustules. Mm -hmm. More food for the machine. (laughs) <laughs> so moving on to the shriek shriker shriker shrieker? Shrieker. shrieker he shrieks this model picked up an extra defense just because defense one is, is sad 
especially when it comes to a model that usually has to play far forward to move up. Defense two can matter mm -hmm. uh, when you're taking cover. It'll help him dodge those ape gunners flag field ones. It's true. And meta ape gunner. And it also picked up transmute. Um, this was kind of one that like when we put it on the shrieker and tried it out, everybody was like, this is themey and cute. Like it's got like transmute bullets or something and has a great role. And transmuting out some uh, Legion of Mutates units also creates some really interesting lines. For sure. The, the Shrieker used to have a follow-through, which was fine. There was, there was no, you know, follow-through is a good rule, but we wanted to add a little bit more diversity to the faction because the Mutates crowd control is something that all of their units were really good at. Mm -hmm. So to have this something to go in a little bit of a different direction to give them a little bit more utility and not to be so down the middle, <laughs> punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky. Well, and a lot of them have movement abilities. And so transmute allows you to put one farther forward, which can then go and use its movement abilities. And so I like that through line. And then to continue with these elites matter, the elite here lost commander, but gained wing leader. I'm really excited for this change. I've been pushing for a unit with wing leader for what feels like years. I agree. This is one that like was very on the nose and seemed appropriate and also has faction synergy. And so I, I feel like this was a home run. One <laughs> other small thing to note, just so people are aware of the full picture, the elite did lose a boost on his blast. Uh, that's only because he, now because of wing leader, he benefits from his own buff. So in practice, it'll still be a 2-2 gun. It mm -hmm. just has a printed one because he's getting plus one from his own ability. Yeah, can't have it just suddenly be a 2-3 gun. It's like well, benefiting from your own commander. Exactly. The next one is the Exo Armor for the guard units. The Exo Armor gained one rule and one action dice and one boost dice because a 1-0 blast attack is very sad uh, and not cutting it in the modern monster apocalypse but also to give this model something to do when it is sitting down and hungering and uncrushable and sure. so this I, the thing we were hearing is that people really wanted to play their exo armor with legionnaire and legionnaire only mm -hmm. buffed guns so we gave exo armor a playable gun and defensive line so allied faction units adjacent to this model gain hunker and plus one defense so now instead of needing three exo armors and a trench coat to hold a building you can have an exo armor and a more diverse collective of guard units that are also hard to kill and hunkering so you can yeah. create like fighting installments that can sit back be hard to kill and remove but can also be shooting out and uh, things that get near them uh, defense 5G tanks are really scary. I know a lot of the other testers were very cautious about this, but it turned out to be, you know, just right on the line of what we what we thought was okay. And G-Tank, you know, this is a model that basically has no rules on its card. Uh, <laughs> but collectively, with rules like this, bring it into new life. And so it's definitely a consideration now. And the Elite, when it comes to Elite Still Matter, right, it's got a 2-2 gun now. Commander bringing the 2-1 off the grunt up a little bit. Eh, there's potential for it. I think they're still going to be, you know, mostly holding territory, but sometimes if they're in range and a combined attack opens up, you might as well take it. So now we're moving into some Destroyer units here. And the next one here is the Harvester. Why don't you tell us what happened with the Harvester? Sure. So the Harvester saw a couple uh, body bumps. He gained a defense, so it's now Speed 5 Defense 3. I believe this is now the only Defense 3 model with flight, mm -hmm. if someone can correct me if that's wrong, but I think that's the case. His Blast Attack also got a pretty interesting buff uh gained a range it's up to range four it gained a boost die so it's now boost two and the previously it used to have manufacture on its brawl it now has a repurpose on its blast yes so now it can tag something much farther away and being able to put things in play that don't have repurpose there's nothing else in the faction that has repurpose 
That's true. The The big thing here is that unlike manufacturer proliferate, mm -hmm. repurpose doesn't prevent the unit that you put into play from making an attack this activation, which means that you can daisy chain uh, a harvester, shoot something, turn it into a hunter, and then that hunter can shoot something from Absolutely. very many spaces away. And, you know, this is an important, like, two-cost model that is at kind of the linchpin of a lot of synergies with different monsters. And so putting a very valuable gun on it makes this model something that you'll see a lot of uh, Martian Menace players absolutely take it. But I think you'll see it start to creep into some more list overall. For sure. I'm looking forward. I have one painted that has not seen the table in many years. So I'm I'm really looking forward to getting it back into my lists. I know. I'm so excited to play it with my alt sculpt Ares Mothership because that model's amazing. Uh, you'll get no disagreement from me. So then that brings us to the Snatcher. So the Snatcher went up to speed six. And then we made the Snatcher follow in the same footsteps as Olgoth, and we gave it proliferate instead of it had manufacture. And then we also gave it sever. So this is an ability that we tossed around putting on in destroyers, but particularly in this place, it makes the snatcher very good at its one thing. Kill a unit, make a unit, stop you from doing anything sneaky. Mm -hmm. And then... When it comes to Elite's Matter, just having a unit that has a good proliferate punch at two cost with Sever is pretty spicy. Yeah, and you know, you're in Lords of Thule, so rarely are your two cost units actually going to cost you two. Yeah, the sneaky sneak in. And so with one more unit to go, we are breezing through these. We just have the LTA fighter and this might be my favorite unit change in the whole packet. This this is a spicy one for sure. So this unit got a big glow up and straight up has a new life in Zercalo and probably across Destroyers. And it just got a gun buff. But its buff is fun and awesome. It got an extra action dice. It got an extra boost dice. So it's really good at shooting its range 4 gun. And it got flash. So when this attack hits an enemy model immediately after the attack is resolved, place this model on an objective space or a space adjacent to a building within four spaces of its current location. So this plays into safeguard on Comcore. This plays into some really interesting unit lines with Zavid. This would love to benefit from Voyaka's blast bonus. This is just, it's a unit that's got some spice. And then the elite picked up Aegeus. So another elite that has an ability that's unique to it that makes it really worth being a two-cost unit. For sure. Yeah, Aegis, uh, for the Destroyer players who haven't seen this one before, because previously it was exclusive for protectors, this unit can't be the target of actions your opponents control for things like it can't be telekinesis moved. It can't be recycled. This is an important rule, too, because it gives Zavid a flying Aegeus screener, right? Like, his gimmick is, like, I, I can summon units, and I can be really hard and tanky, and this adds to his shell. So I think all three of the monsters really have different things that just turn this unit up. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even outside of Zircalo, like, I'm pretty sure a range four gun with three action dice and two boost dice is the strongest blast attack in the game now for a cost one unit. They, yeah. they hit hard. <laughs> it's a very good unit. And Flash is a really neat rule on top of it because it's going to fly out there. It's going to use its really good gun, and then it's going to go and fly to be somewhere relevant. But the downsides to this unit, other than just being like the best gun, is it's low defense and low speed. And so these are things that you have to overcome with synergy. Yeah, it's fine. Well, he, do, he does lose anti-air, so it's basically just anti-air is always on. Yeah, that's true. A rule that sometimes is relevant. We just kind of gave them that padding and said, here you go. Is there anything else that you'd like to say reflecting back on this packet? Any monster synergies, models, unit lists you're really excited about now that you've had the chance to play test it for a while? I mean, first off, right from the jump, I got to say, I hope I did my brothers and sisters in the old gang proud. <laughs> But he yeah, did. I'm... He championed Olgoth so hard. You guys should know the blood, sweat, and tears 
Jeff put into Olgoth. Like that was his opening statement and his playtest review was the preamble of the uh, Olgoth Alliance. And so I had to, I didn't know what I was messing with here. <laughs> yeah. My, my first feedback document was basically a manifesto. It was, it, that's exactly what it was. It was an Olgoth manifesto. Uh, but I love passion, man. Like I'm never one to squash someone's passion. Like if someone's really hyped up about wanting to see something and play it, it's exactly the kind of thing that's going to get people motivated to play a bunch of games and try things and look at things in a different way. And you and I have been playing the game for a very long time. And so you get to a point where you start to make granular decisions and small changes can make big changes uh, on the table. And so I'm hoping that a lot of these changes can create and cascade a lot of changes across people's lists for a small amount of models. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward. Honestly, I'm looking forward to trying out all four of these monsters. Every one of them has something interesting to me to get to the table at some point. Most definitely. I think the one, if you ask me to play a game right now, like if we're going to hop off the mic, I would probably want to put Kraken Octus with the new Triton monster Archipelagon. That just seems like a barrel of fun. And uh, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment wanting all of these double pedestrian lists. And then Zerkalo list has been calling my name. And there's just so much juicy Zerkalo in here to, to bite into. I can't wait to put that on the table. Another pedestrian list as well. Just who needs who needs to get over buildings? Well, hey, on the subject of pure pedestrian lists, you know how much I love my efficiency monsters. Mm. I'm looking at a pairing of Titanica with Magmacon. Oh, that is spicy. Double combo strikes. Double combo strikes. Your defensive stance with Magmacon's 7 million power dice. Maybe it won't come up as often as it would in other pairs, but mm. you're definitely... <laughs> You're definitely going to have enough fuel for on my mark. That's for sure. This is true. You're going to always on my mark all the time, but you're going to be like, I don't know that I ever defensive stance because I stay at 10 power. <laughs> so that's it. That seems a re- like a re- and also kind of scary, right? Because like there's only what, 18 health between those two monsters, 20 health between those two monsters. Uh, 19, I believe. 19, 19 health between those two monsters. That's it's not a lot of health. Hey, I've I've done 18. I used to run in Scalsimal, so. Yeah, boy. So what are you going to reach for Olgoth? That's a good question. See, I got my Olgoth painted and in the in the cabinet. The problem is how many Cthulhu units I'm going to need to uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> paint up to get that kill command off on a regular basis. Because he's, he's a monster now who really want, demands that you go heavy on the Cthulhu. Yeah, I think Grosh, right, get some Brewgrosh going. Summon can add to the unit pile, and being able to summon, like, meat slaves that when you pop just turn into another unit, like, really help keep units alive as long as you need to. Yep. Maybe some Snatchers in that list, right? Uh, I think you, there isn't a really a Cthulhu unit that you don't want to be running. Mm. You might <laughs> you might need everyone that you can get your hands on. That's true. Even Spitters. Even, Even Spitters. spitters. Parting shots, anything else you want to tell the listeners before we sign off here? Yeah, this weekend, as of this recording, is going to be Captain Con. So I'm looking forward to, yep, coming out and playing some games and seeing some people. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. It's going to be great. That's awesome. I am super excited for you. Take lots of pictures, hang out with everybody, and uh, can't wait for the next one. Absolutely. You want to say roll drums? I certainly do. Roll drums. Thank you.